everyone. Welcome back to Coffee with a Shot of Cynicism. I'm Eleni. I'm Jeffrey. And today is a very special episode. We're joined by Kalisa Ray, who is a poet, author, journalist, activist. Her writings have appeared in Vogue, Jezebel, Electric Lit, Bitch, Bitch Media. Was that right? <laughs> the Body, the list goes on and on. She has two poetry collections out titled Ghost in the Black Girl's Throat and Real Girls Have Real Problems. They're both lovely. My local library has a copy, so I ran to get them. Um, she's also the co-founder of an all-Black Southern Writers Conference in Durham, North Carolina, where she lives. She's co-founder with her husband, her partner, who is also a poet. Thank you so much for joining us, Kalisa. Thank you. So excited to be here. We're so excited to have you. Um, so main reason we wanted to have you on, but then as we did more research, obviously there's follow-up that happens. But main reason we wanted to have you on is because we saw your article in Jezebel that you co-wrote with um, your writing partner at Jezebel or a friend at Jezebel? <laughs> My co-worker at Jezebel, co-worker, who was yeah. off, also, we found out, is a Gilmore Girls connoisseur, pop culture, 80s, 90s show connoisseur. So we decided to like team up and mesh our two loves of this sitcom. Yeah. Love it. Love um, are, were you two the only two that were... Um, Gilmore Girls connoisseurs? We were. We oh. were like our our editor-in-chief's like, listen, you two will be a dynamic duo because okay. you're obsessed and can't stop talking about it. And so I'm going to throw you all together to create this thing. So yeah. Perfect. So that. <laughs> yeah, we primarily wanted to talk to you about that article in Jezebel titled, Stop Making Gilmore Girls Cookbooks, They Don't Cook Shit. <laughs> um, so super subtle title. We have to do a lot of analysis to get to what you really wanted to say. <laughs> Um, but I guess to start off, talk us through the article. What made you guys want to uh, put it on paper or screen, as it were? Because I think as Gilmore Girls fans, a lot of us are frustrated with the cookbook. <laughs> Honey, listen to me. Okay, so a couple of things that just like was the catalyst for this article. So first of all, um, in learning that my coworker was also a Gilmore Girls connoisseur, we started just talking about all things wrong with Gilmore. Um, so you mentioned Electric Lit, and I wrote uh, one of my like favorite poems today of mine is um, that there are no more, uh, there's no more chocolate ice cream in <laughs> in Stars Hollow, which is published in. All right, Electric Lit. Yeah. Um, and I talk about how I literally um, was so obsessed with Gilmore Girls that I could quote every line. You know, like I was entrenched with every like known trivia. And then as I got older and became an activist, I learned that there were so many problematic elements. And so me and my coworker started talking about my poem and just like my love, hate relationship with the show. And so we thought it would be funny to point out the thing that we both thought was like one of the things wrong, which is the like food, <laughs> the elements around food. And so we started talking about like our interesting relationships with like how they present, you know, like food and eating and takeout and body image. And then it goes into fat phobia on the show. And so how complex that is. Uh, and that's, you know, like where the inspiration for the article came. It was so like nuanced and fraught with lots of feelings that we had. But then we also wanted to like throw in comedy uh, because we're both goofy souls. And so we just decided to like make it really funny 
I actually didn't know about the cookbook until oh. my coworker brought it to my attention. Okay. That there was like, because what I told her was, wouldn't it be cool if we came up with our own like cookbook? And so Audra said, well, actually there's already a cookbook that was created. Um, and so I was like, I don't believe that there was a, there was like a Gilmore Girls cookbook. And so Audra like pulled it up and there was a ton of like people that have created it. And then there's some knockoffs and all kinds of things. So that's kind of how we, we started down this rabbit hole. <laughs> yeah. So there's actually two unofficial cookbooks, uh, written by the same author. Um, and then this cookbook came out last year. Um, I guess as a money grab, would you say it's, it's, it, it felt a lot like a money grab? Well, it just, it did feel like a money grab. It felt very cheesy and just like something that you could get at like a, you know, like a, a, a gift shop after going to the Gilmore Girls Museum. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like one of those cheap little tokens, trinkets that you pick up <laughs> at the Stars Hollow convenience store. It's just, it felt so like novel, like a novelty and it was just bad wrong like an unnecessary novelty would you say like you know there's some novelties it's like oh, I want to have that trinket that's a good souvenir to have but then the cookbook was like not it right it was not it at all it just and then like the food that they describe in there sounds like so unseasoned and bland and white and just like I just wasn't down for like the white bread sandwich cut off like unseasoned turkey i just wasn't here you know what's funny is i mentioned this in the article that mm -hmm. some of the meals that emily pulls together for these galas sounds delicious right and my bougie ass would love to taste an oh, yeah. emily gilmore meal yeah but whatever was happening in whatever this thing was that wasn't that wasn't it yeah i love I love how blunt the article was, though, like blunt in a, in a good way, not to say like it was harsh or anything. It was like it needed to be said that and I'm also on on the same page as you, like Eleni had to tell me that there was a cookbook because I was like, OK, you know, I didn't. All right. If, if you say so. And say, like as soon as I looked it up, I, of course, I didn't I didn't need to buy it or look at it to know that it would be unnecessary because like as you guys point out in the article, like the Gilmore girls don't cook shit. Like what, what, why is there a need for a cookbook on a show where the two main characters sit on their couch and eat junk food all day? Right. Exactly. It was confusing. I, I see like what they were trying to do because food is a very large part of the show. Like they come together around meals and that was like, that's the opening scene is at a, at a diner, you know? Yeah. And so like, and that's the crux of the whole show is like meeting up at this place that feels like home um, when Lorelai doesn't have a home, you know? So like, I get the, the, like what maybe the author was trying to do, but the execution left a lot to be desired. <laughs> Just, yeah. yeah. I mean, so in the article, you you do talk, you both talk about inserting um, some of the cultures of the characters into the cookbook and how that was kind of a missed opportunity um, because by today's standards, Gilmore Girls is by no means diverse, but probably by early 2000 standards, 
it was one of the most diverse shows, which yeah. is um, sad, really, yes. because because it wasn't at all up to par, right? right. Um, so you talk about maybe Mrs. Kim having Korean cuisine, throwing that in there, French cuisine mm. for Michelle, uh, Caesar throwing in his Mexican heritage, you know, right. and kind of blending all that together. Do you think that premise of a cookbook would have worked better? So I could see some people saying even that is pandering, Mm -hmm. but I think done the right way, that could have been dope. Like, I think if you split that idea into sections and had sections per character and you had some, I'm giving away like gems here. Somebody I know you should copyright whatever it is. I should, I should maybe save this, but anyway, so there should be, you should split it into characters and i would have loved to have read that even you know like rory and lorelei get their own section because there are things that they openly admit that they love and that they don't like and ingredients that they're fond of and so like they could have their section as boring as it might have been but i think like yeah a michelle you know a caesar section a um Emily, I keep going back to Emily. A, I mean, the a food Suki, sounds amazing. The food sounds amazing, but like, where was Suki's section? Like, where is where? We need it. Like, why can't we have a whole section with like her recipes? You know, so these cakes and these pies and these like delicious. What's the what's the you know where she's she's pregnant and she's in the bed. And there's a dish that she keeps getting the um, sous chefs to bring up to her in the bed, and and Luke is downstairs cook- cooking, and yeah, Luke she wants knows to know that, if he's whatever that, straining the duck sauce, straining the duck sauce, yeah. Like, yeah. where's this? Where are these decadent things? That where, we are the, where are the lamb chops? Where are the scones? Where's the risotto? Lamb, right. Where's, yeah, exactly. Right. And then you could have done cute little things like Norman Mailer, like what she served Norman Mailer the day that she found out that she was even pregnant because she yeah. was like serving them and then she was acting frantic. What, what was that meal? Or like the day that they have that like Thanksgiving dish. When all that drama, the love triangle was going on with Lorelai and her ex and Luke and the whole thing. Like there's, you know, there's so many moments. Yeah, yeah. It feels like there's a lot of missed opportunities. But like, what do you make of the ways in which like the book included, you know, Mrs. Kim's flaxseed muffins and her eggless egg salad sandwiches instead of like more culturally diverse dishes? Like to us, like flaxseed muffins and eggless, like that's pretty, (laughs) that's pretty American white bread. Like would you say that I wouldn't you know racist is a, is a strong word but would, would you say that like missed opportunity of course but also just kind of just miss the miss the mark culturally I mean yeah of course but why do we why do we do that like come on it would have really elevated the experience had we really been able to like see some authentic Korean dishes right the thing that was so disappointing for me is they could have chosen anything other than those two dry. Like it just even saying those things makes my mouth dry up like the Sahara. Why could we not have chosen something that felt sumptuous yeah. and delicious and savory? Even like the things that, you know, like the average American wouldn't necessarily understand the fact that like mrs kim and like the aunties were in the kitchen 
laboring over what was the kimchi or something in the in the and 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 Elaine was talking about how it smells on the day of her wedding. It, the whole the aroma was wafting through the whole thing. Why could we not have gotten something that at least felt not just culturally relevant but also like things that sounded appetizing um and that folks could resonate with regardless of like what culture they belong to. You know, like that was another thing is like I'm not a French black man, but I would have loved to, I would have felt connected, more connected to the book had there been a Michelle section. You know, like I would, you know, they show his mom on that one early episode. And I would love to know like, what does mama Michelle cook? You know, or like, what kind of food does she eat? Those are just, I. <laughs> Do you feel like maybe Mrs. Kim, regardless of food, but I think this is the way they also did it. Maybe they whitewashed Mrs. Kim and Lane's characters a little bit in the way they portrayed them. What do you mean a little bit? <laughs> yeah. What I was trying mean? to be diplomatic. What do you mean a little bit? No, yeah, a lot I mean, I've had this conversation with my Asian American friends. Mm -hmm. I've had this conversation with my fellow like um, Black and Indigenous, like former fans, folks that like, um, and even some of my white friends, you know, like have admitted that, yeah, of course, they whitewashed all the, the very few brown people. Yeah, all of their yeah. characters were whitewashed and not just whitewashed, but the conversation that I had with one of my friends was why, why was Lane's mother depicted in such a stereotypical way? Yeah. Um, and it was really off-putting. I think there's there's tons of think pieces about like how a lot of Asian American fans are very upset mm -hmm. about the way that the Kims were portrayed um, and how they made her this like stern, harsh, almost like loveless, um, very rigid, stoic character in a way that was so, um, yeah, just like generalized, stereotypical, just throwing all <laughs> the folks just in the same, pot uh, and saying that that's how, how all Asian mothers are utterly disrespectful. Um, so yeah, of course, you know, like there were so many missed opportunities there. And what's sad is that's one of the reasons why I gravitated to the show in the first place, because my lived experience as a young black girl was very similar to, um, to Rory's. Um, and so I too, like growing up, I had an Asian best friend and like I felt seen in school because we were the like two brown folks in a sea full of like white people. And I lived this dichotomy of like living in the hood in Gary, Indiana, but then like going to private school and I lived in this like quirky place and then went to private school and I never felt quite myself in either place and always felt like I was like in this double consciousness. And so like I saw Rory. Um, and it's funny how when I got older and like understood the nuance of like racism and othering and marginalization, did I start to see like, yeah, I saw myself, but also like what they're doing with these characters is not even, it's not fair. It's not fair to the characters of color. Um, it wasn't fair to like the queer characters. There was so much queer phobia in there. Oh my God, um, we've talked about that at length on this podcast. I feel like we've had 45 yeah. minute segments on erasing Michelle's queerness and aye, aye. yeah yeah it's um it's it's hard when you you grow up loving something and you know like you said you gravitate towards it for whatever reason it is yeah. you know whether it's the mother-daughter relationship or because you see yourself I in some too. of these characters 
And then when you grow up and you start analyzing it, um, like we do, or even, you know, catching certain things that you missed yeah. the first time around, it's a little bit harder to kind of you're wrestling with yourself a little bit mm-hmm. between I really love this and it's such a big part of my childhood but mm-hmm. oh my god red flags you know yeah I call it the uh friends effect I have this conversation oh, god, often yeah. I call it the Seinfeld friends effect mm-hmm. how come we are in you know why are we in Connecticut why are we in New York why are we in these big cities states that like we know have brown people where with so when you walk in up and down the street in these big metropolitan areas you don't, there's no, we're not seeing any brown people. Yeah. And so like, it's a joke amongst me and my other black friends. They were like, wait a minute, we love these shows, but also like, even if, you know, there's levels. So even if you're not going to make the black and brown characters fully realized, have agency, autonomy, culturally relevant, um, expansive characters, that's what we, that's what we hope for, right? You could at least just like on the streets of Stars Hollow have representation like just have me something reflected walking up and down the street you know like can i at least have me yeah (laughs) you know so like that's why this cookbook is such a slap in the face because it's like you didn't even give me me but then also like (laughs) when you had an opportunity to give me a little something you stick me with some like dry ass scones and some eggless egg salad you know what i mean like no completely understand we've also talked a lot about on our podcast like the ways in which you know, media in the 2000s when Gilmore Girls first aired is it was in a very different place than it is now. So I'd love to know, like, what do you make of, like, the ways in which, you know, like, diversity and, like, cultural representation is, you know, on TV and, like, on streaming services now versus Gilmore Girls in the 2000s? Because, you know, Gilmore Girls is still incredibly popular on Netflix, and it's still incredibly popular among, you know, people like us who meet every two weeks to talk about it, right? So, like, where do you think that conversation is now compared to in the 2000s? I think that there is a cognitive dissonance that happens when you are a uh, person of color. I think that you do, you, well, for all people, I think cognitive dissonance happens for anybody who's aware, right? So if you're, if you're aware of the major issues that we have happening um, around the world, but particularly with like American media, American entertainment, you there's a thing that you do where you understand the issue now um but the nostalgia makes you have a level of distance from the like overarching issues because to be honest and we you know we talk about this a lot among my circles if we were to be upset and say that we're boycotting everything that had cultural ignorance lack of representation, we would literally be hardly watching anything, right? So like, there's a there's a decision now in 2023. And you know, in the last like seven years entertainment that we have we've had to make, you know, because there's progress that we see. But there's still so far that we need to go that at some point, it's like, okay, we're weighing our options when we turn on streaming streaming channels, we either can be upset <laughs> and point out every nuance that we see in othering and racism and ignorance and stereotypes and typecasting, which is like become really awful. We can either stress about that um, or, you know, we can enjoy, there's a term for that now. And I forget it's, it's um, losing me, but there's a term for when you have to like shut off the conscious part of yourself, that thing that we have to do as folks of color 
um, particularly when you're like noticing what's happening and then you just have to like turn it off or dim it um, to, to enjoy, to enjoy media. Um, and so I think that that's sad that I think that's happening now um, and has been as we've like shifted um, a little bit, you know, like, like post um, George Floyd and BLM movement and like this more, we're, we're saying we're in the like post that, mm. the post pandemic wokeness, which is like that is like, what is that? I don't even know if that's real. Um, but I think that that happens distance. And then also I think, yeah, nostalgia often wins. Yeah. Um, where I've named a couple shows that I used to, I used to love them. And then I, I started like <clears throat> tilting my head to the side and start saying like, what is happening here? And it's almost a catch 22, the more conscious you become the more awake you become, right? Because the more awake you are, the more you have to see the the ugly. <laughs> and so I think um, that, but the sad thing is, is that oftentimes nostalgia wins out where you say, well, this didn't age well, but like, I can't get over that scene when they kiss, <laughs> you know, or like, you know what I mean? When he shows up at her door and he says, just stand there, what are you doing? That whole, that, that moment, like, the nostalgia of it all. And so I know personally, that's what I wrestle with today. You know, like, um, I stopped watching it. I made a conscious effort, not only because I think I have to date rewatched it about 300 times. Um, and that's like, no, I'm not joking. But like, not only because I've like gotten all I feel like I can get out of it. Um, <clears throat> but I think because yeah, I made a I made a I made a conscious effort to say like there's some shows where I'm going to literally just say I'm going to watch it for the revelry, revering in the moment, right? And then there's this where I'm like I have had enough. Um and also sometimes it gets a little triggering and reminds me of like when I was the only, you know, black girl in school, in this private school and how like other I was. Um and like yeah, so I don't know if that fully answered your question, but I think like that's my lived experience now. I think, like, I think it did. Um, I like what you said about nostalgia winning out. I like to refer to it as like, you know, every like every two decades, something from another time will become nostalgic. Like now, you know, like TikTok teens are into the 2000s and like that aesthetic. So like I, I like to think of it as like it enters its golden age of nostalgic mm -hmm. rebranding. Or like now Gilmore Girls is like on brand for teens who were like born when it first started airing, that sort of thing. And Eleni and I have also talked at length, for example, like about, you know, straight actors playing gay roles and like mm. some of them can be problematic. Some of them can be, you know, okay, but is it still, is it still okay in general that straight actors play gay roles? And I'm like, well, you, you can kind of like have to cherry pick at a certain point of like, okay, like you yeah. said, you know, turn off, turning off your cultural radar and asking yourself like, is this... Is this problematic in general? Yes. Is it is it well done and well intentioned? Yes. Like, and then if, but if you take away everything that's done, you know, problematically, like there's nothing left to watch, you know. So I like, yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. And we've we've talked about on the show also the nostalgia factor. So Jeffrey only started watching it when it was on Netflix, the show. Mm -hmm. Whereas I'm a little bit older than Jeffrey, as he loves to point <laughs> out. <laughs> <laughs> and I watched it as it was airing. And so yeah. for me, 
sometimes I have a very hard time letting go as well, because I used to watch it with my father Mm. and my father has since passed away. Mm. So, you know, when I, I have a complicated relationship with it, where I remember watching certain episodes with my dad and I'd love to feel that again, but then other parts I'm like, Oh, this is icky, (laughs) you know? So it's, it's hard. I mean, we all have our, our different experiences with these shows, you know? Um, And we often talk about how do we reckon with that? How do we um, continue to love something that we loved, Mm -hmm. but also, you know, it's okay to say that this, this, and this was also just not good about it. Right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I want to, in the article, you talked about, there are certain instances of fat phobia that had you leaving the room. Yeah. Um, And as a person who always grew up chunky and as chunkier now, you know, and, um, Uh, I remember having these thoughts growing up of like, when I get thin, when I get thin, when Mm -hmm. I get thin, I'm, I'm in a better place now, obviously, but you know, when you're younger, you, you don't realize that some of these things are damaging, you know, absolutely. And you rewatch it now and you're like, well, the chef is overweight Mm -hmm. and, um, you know, they're making fun of the ballerina whose fat is around Mm -hmm. her bra strap, Mm -hmm. Uh, you know, like things like they're watching the fat boy movie surrounded by junk food, you know? Um, you know, what were some of the instances of fat phobia that really turned you off to the show? So everything that you've mentioned, and I want to also harken back to like, that's one of the more serious reasons why we felt like this article was important. And we didn't, we wanted to like skim the service a little with like, um, how deep we got with this, but that part was really important to me. Um, as I think about like how my relationship with food was very influenced by the like, Um, traumatic experience I had with like my father and just like other folks in my family that use that as a weapon. And so me and Audra Audra talked about like, how could we speak to some of the experiences that we saw in the show and the irony um, and the triggering nature of like seeing them make fun (laughs) of somebody who was fuller figured and then them eating the way that they did. Yeah. Um, And the message that like us as them as white women could were afforded the opportunity to like eat takeout and like all of these really unhealthy foods all the time and just like walk around <laughs> the city of Stars Hollow and be really thin and and then make fun of people who were fuller figured and so like that was a real problem for me <laughs> in watching the show and one scene um that I will point out ironically is not from um the the series but from the movie um, so there are, there are countless examples um, in the show, but the thing that took me aback was watching the movie. I'll never forget. We did a whole premiere party. Mm. I invited all my girls over to watch the, the Gilmore Girls movie. And there's that scene, um, I forget what scene, I think it's summer, summer season. And you remember that scene where the um, bigger man walks past them yep. and they start making fun of him. I, I, I literally like had to like stop. Um, And that for me, you know, like, again, as a young person watching it, I'm 36. So like watching it and feeling very like connected to the mother-daughter relationship, because that was me and my mom connected to Rory and feeling so bonded with the show. And then unconsciously seeing all these things during the show um, that were like reiterated and even like Lane talking about her body and dissatisfaction with that. and just so many like images that I saw in the show around food um, and and the lack of talking about 
like various body types, like not even addressing the fact that like Suki um, was curvy and like they never addressed that like dichotomy and never like went into that. And that was troubling for me. But for me, it was almost like me remembering how damaging that was to my self-esteem after the fact. Yes. So then I think a light bulb went off yeah. when I saw the movie as like an older adult, because I had, as you said, I had internalized unconsciously these things as a young person watching it. I hadn't really done anything about it. I like was a glutton for punishment. I kept watching, kept watching. So just imagine that, like the training in the brain to keep listening to those things over and over again. And you're like internalizing those things about yourself. And I don't know what happened when that like trash movie, <laughs> the movie was so bad too. But when the when the movie happened, something about that scene, I can like see it right now. Something about that scene with the man with the like shorts and his like muffin top, like hanging over in the crack. He had this like butt crack was out or something, whatever. They comment when they're like sipping their lemonade at the pool in yeah. the movie. Yeah. Well, about having children fan them, by the way. Or yeah. having children, I mean, so many, so many, so many yeah, problems. Like, yeah. So many problems, but. That scene for me really made me say, okay, Kalisa, like this has gone on long enough. Yeah. We can choose to like feed ourselves something else. You fed yourself this 300 some odd times. You can choose to, just to bring it full circle on the food metaphor, choose to feed yourself something else. Yeah. 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 I think that's a really good choice. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, we haven't gotten to the 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 movie, the the mini whatever it is um, on the podcast yet, but we 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 constantly tell each other, oh my god, save that for then, save that for then, <laughs> because we have so many things to think. You know, some people tend to give the original series a pass because it was for the time, you know, acceptable, even though it's not really acceptable, but yeah. then to re-see it from a 2016 lens after we've learned so much in that short period of time and then like almost as if they were doubling down <laughs> kind of you know yeah it I remember having that moment as well um I didn't have a whole watch party but I invited my sister-in-law um yeah. and it was the two of us and I remember being like some of this yes is nostalgic because I haven't seen these characters mm. in so long and yeah. other parts don't sit well with me you know yeah absolutely y'all yeah. want to hear something scary Yes. So speaking of just like food and the chefs and the the also the the help. Um so I have a freaky story. Hmm. Um so the woman, I forget what episode it is. I used to know the exact episode. But there is a scene where Emily um is trying to find something and dinner is almost ready and the um one of their uh housekeepers is a black woman. And her name is my mother's name. And, mm -hmm. and it is a rare name. I have never heard anybody else with this name. It's Francette. I don't know if y'all remember oh, that episode. Oh, so Francette is the nurse, Francette. I think. Or the nurse. Yes, yes the, nurse. the nurse. So it's the after nurse. Richard has his heart attack. It has After he has his heart attack. I don't know mm -hmm. why I see her in this outfit that looks like it's the... Um, one of the housekeepers, but it's the nurse. Well, Emily treats her like a maid, so understandable. She treats her like a maid. And so that's another maid. moment. That was another moment where I was like, excuse me? And she had my mother's name? I was like, so first of all, I feel like it's kismic that I was supposed yeah. to, like there's something about me and my relationship with the show um, 
that was like, it's spooky. There's a lot of things like that in the show where I'm like, this is scary. But that moment I was like, excuse me? Yeah. And just the treatment of the people that serve, that too is the people that serve the food or the people that like are of service in the show. To me, the treatment of them is like so um, mishandled, but I, the funny thing is, is that I've had this conversation with people and we talk about whether the writers were trying to truly show the way a established family would treat, you know, the people that are providing services for them, or were they just like being um, offensive mm -hmm. <laughs> to people in the service industry? And so I don't know what the answer is. I've seen a lot of like, you know, interviews um with the writers but that was another thing for me that was very like whoa that's scary that not only does she have my mother's name but like you're just treating her like a peon yeah. um and not to say that like you know emily treated all of the the maids like peons but that hit home because she was a woman of color and one of the few i think actually correct me if i'm wrong but i think she's one of francette was one of the very few um black nurses or maids that i saw on the show at all um so yeah there were moments like that that just like made me like press yeah <laughs> yeah like we have to stop this for a little bit and come back later yeah for sure yeah that is that is really freaky that she had your mom's name as well mm -hmm. yeah, i love that name just, by the way that must be a sign right i mean like you said you know when you when you watch the 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 revival on netflix and there was the scene with the man at the pool and then you think like obviously you think back right to the moment and because it was in season seven i think when mm -hmm. she had his heart attack so mm -hmm. like you know there you think back to all these little moments right of like well i that red flag that i overlooked because i was young i didn't know any better right yep and then you get older and you're like there's no excuse at this point like i have marched i have done every vigil <laughs> i have done every like i have fought for the rights <laughs> like of every intersection that i live at black queer woman like i've done the thing and i like i'm too I'm too wide open to like keep keep ignoring the fact that it like that's why I describe it as like a toxic relationship that I like kept going back to that I like love. Um, I love these women so much. And at the same time, like I've gotten my heart broken by them so many times. And so, yeah, that's interesting that like the new lens, the new lens that I approach the show with, um, will I never turn it on again? I can't say that, you know, like I, it used to be my anti-anxiety show. Um, you know, Me like too. when I had really bad anxiety, I would turn on Gilmore Girls and instantly, you know, like my anxiety, my racing thoughts, my intrusive thoughts would go away. Um, now, not so much. I'm learning that like, again, it like wasn't healthy for me to continue to like feed my soul with that. But yeah, it's interesting, this new lens that I have at the age that I'm at now. Yeah. Well, on that note, we wanted to also talk to you about um, the poems you mentioned from Electric Lit. And I think that's a good segue because the title of that article with the poems was I Love to Hate My Gilmore Girls Obsession, um, which I think like you've, you've, you articulated really well of how well this like this, how, how much the show meant to you growing up. And then as an adult, you know, you really have to adjust your lens, as you put it. Um, so I, I love the metaphor of like the chocolate ice, like no chocolate ice cream in Stars Hollow. Um, Eleni, Eleni, 
as is has often said, you know, she finds it hard to read poetry, but she told me that like these poems just really, like, really stood out to her. Mm-hmm. Um, and I love the line where you said like Snow White showed you a, a woman is only desirable when she's a, immovable waiting to be carved into while us brown girls never stick around long enough for you to lick the edges. We know mm-hmm. we'll melt if we stay still. Like mm-hmm. in the context of Gilmore Girls, like that's just really apt and powerful. Like I love mm-hmm. that. Thank you. Yeah, I uh, I wrote that crying, thinking about like, it was wow. like a loss of a lover, <laughs> you know, like saying bye to something that, that's a lot of invested hours. I spent a lot of invested hours in the show and loving it and learning it. And like, um, you know, it was there for me a lot of times when I needed it, it was like a loss, you know, it was a breakup. And so like, I wrote that, you know, very emotional in all the ways that I like saw it for what it was. Um, it's true colors um, that were shining so brightly. Um, and so it was sad to know that I was like gonna be closing a chapter uh, of my life. And it was a dedication that I made to myself to like choose better. But yeah, that um, yeah, that poem means a lot to me. And, you know, I don't even go into all of the many ways for me that like, again, with the cookbook, there were so many like missed opportunities, but the show, you know, there were so many opportunities that it had um, to really speak to a lot of things. And also just like, there's this this conversation around media, like why? A lot of, a lot of folks that have pushed back about diversity and inclusion and equity say, why, why do we need all that? And to that I say, well, even if we don't need full representation, why was the fat phobia necessary? Like, couldn't we have just done without? their level. So like, couldn't we have done without the aggressive queer phobia, racism, very blatant? Um, couldn't we have just skipped that? And if the point was to show commentary around the way white wealthy folks talk behind closed doors, that would have been effective if it would have been done with careful intention. Um, and so, yeah, that's what I wanted to kind of show in this poem is like, there were so many missed opportunities for little brown girls like me to feel like seen, known and heard through this, this show. And so many other brown girls that have admitted just through me talking about it that are obsessed and love Gilmore Girls. Um, speaking of TikTok, there's a whole like fandom of brown girls that love TikTok or that love Gilmore Girls on TikTok. Um, and so I asked like, yeah, there's, I know that they've been, you know, belabored with this, the writers, because there's so many think pieces that have been done on this topic, but a sadness, a sadness fell over me as I was writing this, because I'm like, I wanted, I wanted more, but also I get saddened when things like that are done just for the sake of it. It almost feels like a jab. You know, Mm -hmm. like, what was the point of that extra? It goes back to the cookbook, you know, like you had choices. Why choose the driest, (laughs) I choose the driest thing. It's almost like, come on. Like the person behind that knew that they were choosing the thing that was like the whitest possible (laughs) thing. So yeah, yeah. I mean, it, especially a show like Gilmore Girls that that had the wit going for it and that- Um, you know, there was humor everywhere. Right. It, it almost seems like a cop out to say like, oh, well, we're going to throw in a fat joke. You already mm-hmm. have the winning formula by doing all these other things. You don't need Why that. Was that needed. 
It's right. why is it needed for a cheap laugh, but you're already getting the great laughs, you know? Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I also get upset when I, when I think back to it for sure. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so I think, do you still think, do you think that we should still consider Amy Sherman Palladino, the creator, the writer, mm-hmm. the, the birther, shall we say, yeah. is she still, cause she's referred to a lot of times as a trailblazer for women um, you know, she was the first woman writer on Roseanne. She wrote a lot yeah. of, um, she wrote abortion storylines, which was like unheard of. Yeah. Yeah. Um, she created so many women centric shows. Is there a way to look at her? Is there a different way to look at her now? Is there, how do you see her role in this? And, you know, cause she's still very, she got a resurgence with Mrs. Maisel. Yeah. And so how do you I view think, her? I think, as we progress, you know, there's that 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 phrase, that quote, that when I was a young man, I spoke as a young man. When I became older, I put away childish things. And so to me, mm-hmm. I don't understand um, why we wouldn't scrutinize things now that we are, we have no excuse, we had no excuse back then, but now that we have more knowledge, um, more tools, more resources to do better and to scrutinize media um, in a harsher way. Why? Why wouldn't we? Why wouldn't we hold her to a higher standard today, 2023, um, with so many opportunities and um, ability to put Black folks in the writers' room and to have partners? I mean, that's a major issue. Is like having having representation as someone who has a sister in the film industry, like and that was a film major and wants to still write for film. I am like grossly offended, you know, that like a person of color wasn't brought around the writer's room, that someone full figured didn't weigh in on these jokes, um, that uh, the casting director, you know, like all of the many tick boxes where they fell short, I think like with more knowledge comes harsher criticism and why not? Like, again, the questioning, like, why wouldn't, you know, why wouldn't she want to um, be scrutinized if that's going to enhance the scripts, the shows, if it makes more people feel seen, if it brings, I mean, this is the whole spiel, of course, us as organizers that go out and fundraise and, um, you know, have to galvanize support from the community. That's the thing we always say is actually, when you talk about the arts, the ROI is better for you, Amy Sherman Palladino, because the more brown faces you get watching your show, the more money you get in return. So why would you not? Like, it's a it's a domino effect. We know that, right? Right. And so my thing is why? Like, why wouldn't you want um, to be better in that way? And I feel like as, um, not just as activists, but as people, just as like humans that, have knowledge of like why this is so important why will we not hold amy and other and other screenplay play writers and showrunners and directors and producers why will we not want to hold them to a higher standard now um i think that that is our that it behooves us to do that um we we've got to or things will never change (laughs) things will never change yeah yeah well, like on the legacy of, you know, Friends, as you mentioned, like like the Friends effects in terms of Gilmore Girls, like I know that the, that the two creators of Friends, um, <clears throat> David Crane and Marta Kaufman, they 
um, have since said, you know, like they've apologized and said like they should have done more to make to make friends more diverse at the time. It just wasn't on their cultural radar. So I think, you know, not that I, not that as Gilmore Girls fans, we would need something similar from Amy Sherman Palladino, but yeah. it does make like what you said about just the, it, like it, it, would, it would give so much back to them if they would put that little bit more of diversity into shows even now. So yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and I know they try. I mean, oh Jesus, the 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 attempt with your 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 show Genie in Georgia, um, and they they try. Oh Lord, they tried. I've never know, watched like the, that show, but I hate it. <laughs> well, but you know that in the show they 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 give the callback to Gilmore, and there's a in the in the first episode or the second, she says like, "We're the modern day Gilmore Girls," and right. it's like that's your attempt you have a okay yeah so that even was you know like a piss poor attempt at like creating a like spin um, not a spinoff but almost like a new age you know 2022 version where and it was almost like they tried to like slide in where amy fell short we're like gonna give you a like mixed raced girl right raised by her blonde you know like southern mom <laughs> so like that's yeah. gonna help and what's funny is when i saw genie and georgia i was like i'm just gonna go back to the original <laughs> <laughs> i'm gonna yeah. well just go back to the original because this is so trash um yeah. yeah i um when Ginny and georgia the trailer first came out and there was all this um discourse about how it's just a knockoff of gilmore girls um Jeffrey didn't watch it. I watched the first season. I don't have any plans to watch the second because like you said, it's not, um, it's not it. Um, it's not it. It's not it. And I think that's the difference between, you know, in injecting, uh, culturally diverse or racially diverse characters and actually doing something with their characters. It's not enough to just have them show up, yeah. you know, sometimes, especially if they're the main character, well, like you have to make them do something, you know? Yeah. yeah. Um, so yeah, I think, um, I agree with what you said. I think it's important to criticize, um, when we can, um, that being said, if there's ever another, year in the life as I know so many people want we're yeah. we're kind of of the opinion that it's enough and that yeah. um you know what's it's done and it's over yeah. um let's move on especially since they've you know gotten so popular with Mrs. Maisel mm -hmm. but if there ever was is there something that you think needs to happen in terms of storylines characters development of any kind um what would be i guess satisfying for you not just from um from a diversity perspective but also as a fan yeah. you know what would you what would reel you back in what would be satisfying for me would be for them to leave it alone yeah but <laughs> i agree but if they but if they just had to Right. The world was on fire and they were like, the world will not stop being on fire until we get another Gilmore Girls. Right. So like if they had to, I would say a few things. One, because we end off on that like last line of like, oh, my goodness, I'm pregnant or whatever. Um, I would what would be lovely for me would be like almost a, a spinoff where we you take us outside of Stars Hollow, I think. I would first satisfying thing would be to like move us away 
from that. And we got a little bit of, I actually found it very refreshing that during a year in the life, we got away from that, seeing her like, you know, on the beaten path as like a writer trying to interview people. That was refreshing just because like, if for nothing else, we were away from this, you know, very like whitewashed town that like, you know, we've, we've done enough there. We've sang the song, the song is over. It was good to go somewhere else. And so I would love to see like, let's transplant her like author. I wrote this book and also I'm having this baby like somewhere else with like new friends, a new resurgence in a new place would feel, yeah, just even like saying that feels really good. Like, can we get new faces? How does, and a lot of people can't stand Rory. And so I would love to see like Rory have to navigate in a place where Rory is not loved. Yeah. I think that also is like, put, put Rory in a situation where she's got to, you know, like maybe author, like authorship is her profession and she's got to like be in the publishing world when everybody don't love her in the publishing world. You know, put her up against some like tough corporate situations or whatever her career path ends up being. Mm -hmm. um, that's what I would like to see first and foremost is like, how can we not paint her as this like beloved darling but yeah. throw her into the real world around new people that like don't kiss her at you know that yeah. would be fun and i think satisfying for all the people that are like down yeah, with <laughs> <laughs> i would There's watch, a whole, like i would watch the hell out of that and i think you should write it <laughs> well listen it's a it's a goal of mine actually i've like i have a whole thing that i want to like i want to see something that reminds me of it but is not the old like Gilmore Girls and even yeah. not just like throwing a black girl in with her mom but actually like something that feels authentic yeah um and for me that would feel authentic you yeah. know maybe she does have a home girl that like is a black or brown home girl that's like I don't I'm not studying you don't nobody care about you and your little book and your little baby <laughs> you know like yeah whatever. I think also um I would love more characters to just call her out. Yes. Like, because in the real world, when you're interacting with different people, yeah. I have no problem calling my friends out. They have no problem right. calling me out. Yeah. Um, because that's also just a learning experience, right? Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I would, I, I like what you said about, you know, it, it's almost as if she's always in this town where she's the golden girl and she can do no yeah. wrong. And I think ultimately that bitter in the ass later on in life, but I'd love to see more of that. Um, yeah. Yeah. I think that's really, really great. <laughs> yeah. um, so I thought we would do something fun because we were okay. talking about um, Gilmore Girls, the cookbook. <laughs> I thought we, um, I would name a cookbook of a media. So either a show, a movie, whatever it is. Okay. And you would tell me if you think it's unofficial or official. So official being a higher up exec, okay, this marketed this, sold it, or unofficial, this is fan made. Okay. Does that like sound good? It. Yeah. I'm down for that? Yeah. <laughs> so uh, mean girls. Do I feel like a mean girls cookbook and exec okayed it, or was this a fan? The funny thing is, is that I actually feel like that would be a smart as heck if an exec okay that so i'm gonna let's 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 give them the benefit of the doubt and say that yes an exec okay that it's official it's official no so that was fan made actually <laughs> really yeah see, see what Miss was the clue that you're thinking of for mean girls 
So my, I have such a like quirky mind. Okay, so again, lots of scenes happen at the lunch table. Yeah. And what yeah. would be hilarious and interesting would be if you did like a play on school lunch food mm -hmm. and had like a cookbook with like what were they what they ate at the cool table what yeah. they ate at the table with like um the goths whatever yeah. like the non yeah so yeah. like that would be cute also because i was thinking the um, she spends her whole life in africa right so right maybe some african dishes <laughs> yes you know are seasoned properly <laughs> right right absolutely exactly okay how about seinfeld i think Seinfeld. I mean, they do go to that. They're they're in the diner a lot. Yeah. D don't tell me that that one's official. That's official. Yeah, I felt I, felt, I was like, mm -hmm. you it know, came out official. in twenty twenty two. It's official. Yeah. Although I mm -hmm. will say, when I think of Seinfeld, I think of that soup episode. Yeah. I'm a big soup person, so I would <laughs> love to get my hands on a soup, but it's not a food heavy show. So no. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But that one is official, unfortunately. I figured. Orange is the new black. Oh, interesting. Food? Ew. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I hope that that was a fan. I hope that that was a fan. That's I don't. Official. I think it's unofficial. Oh, gross. What? what food? That's gross. Yeah, so <laughs> they marketed food? it as um, like food on a budget. And then... That's not, a, that's not okay. That's, yeah, it's they're not... in jail. What the freak? So that's the thing. Their whole shtick was um, it's tastier than what you would get at the commas, whatever it is, but um, it's on a budget. And then a lot of it was also behind the scenes of how they decided the, it was a mess. Just I'm yeah. very confused by I'm this. Confused. This is disturbing. Yeah. Prison food, lady prison food. I don't lady know. Okay. I don't, okay. All right. Uh, 50 Shades of Grey. Ooh, now see that needs to be official, but I feel like a fan did that. I feel like a fan did that, but this is another one where I feel like that is a genius marketing scheme. If you made like a sexy Valentine's day, 50 shades Ooh. of gray uh, cookbook, but I feel like a fan did it. So yeah, it is unofficial. It's actually a parody. It's called 50 shades of chicken. What? Yeah. And they basically, chicken. it's like a hundred different ways to cook chicken. <laughs> No, 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 no. That's not the, that's not, that was not the move. That was not the assignment. I know. The assignment was a sexy cookbook. Yeah, so exactly. When I, when I saw that there was a, an unofficial Fifty Shades of Grey cookbook, I'm like, oh, okay. How to incorporate food in the bedroom. Right. Like Valentine's meals, date night right. meals. But right. no, 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 no. Okay. Mm -mm. Um, what about Marvel? Just Marvel in general. Oh, I feel like Marvel definitely. Now, the sad thing is, is that I feel like Marvel okay this but i can i am an avid marvel fan and i cannot tell you a meal the funny thing is is that they don't really in movies like that Never meals eat. aren't really they don't eat they don't you eat. see them you you see like a couple like um with stark and his daughter like they'll have a little meal you're feeding the kid a little bit of cereal yeah. whatever but meals aren't the crux of the movies so what are we what are we what are we making the only meal i can think of is it's not even a meal it's in Endgame, where Natasha's eating a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. Okay. That's the only food item I can think of in Marvel in general. But that's official. Um, okay. So they yeah. have a section on actual recipes, but then they also have a section on, like, how to make 
like Iron Man cupcakes, you know, like decorating and stuff like that. Okay, they tried it. They, they tried. tried. <laughs> they tried. <laughs> the last one I'm going to give you is The Hunger Games. So that's that to me is obvious. You you play off The Hunger Games and you just like what could be dope is if you have like, you know, like the ritzy food versus like the food in the Candace Everdeen ate, you know, as a young, like impoverished <laughs> kid, whatever. Like, yeah. I feel like that's official. It's unofficial. It's unofficial. What, yeah. what are you doing people? That's yeah. could be a thing. Yeah. 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 So yeah. yeah. Well, thank you for playing along. <laughs> I hope you oh, enjoyed that. So many missed opportunities. Like everything you said, all the ones that could be actually genius marketing schemes are unofficial. Like, yeah. Mm. yeah they need me they need me on the- they need you i was about to say I'm, i team. need you to start emailing these people and telling them like you missed i'm telling so you much. i'm telling you maybe um the last question we wanted to end with actually it's usually our icebreaker but because we had so much to talk about um we want to know team jess dean or logan ew <laughs> um the choices are so gross i know but if you um, had to if you had so to. if i had to the kinky in me Ooh. wants it to be logan because i feel like i've been so i'm writing a a, a YA novel and a romance novel at the same time and mm-hmm. i've been reading a lot of romance and i feel like logan has that like enemies to lovers like gruff thing happening where in the bedroom you might be a little we could, we could teach him a little something something i think um, he's so the my, best in the bedroom i feel like he's the best in the bedroom but i feel like second um my husband loves um supernatural and dean is fine in supernatural and so although people can't stand dean because dean does feel like he would be the most racist probably of everybody um I'm sorry, but Dean is kind of sexy. So like we could, we we would have to send Dean to some culturally um, aware classes and we would have to make that thing. Make him happen. take a webinar. So make, him, make him take a webinar. Yeah, we have to give him some um, Kiesi Laban books and give him some. Love it. Love it. Very yeah. fun. Um, I also wanted to ask you actually, uh, in our newsletter, we, we always get asked what we're, reading what we're listening to what we're watching yeah. so do you want to share what you're reading listening to or watching all three none of the above whatever do, yeah. yeah let's do all three okay so yeah. we are watching um a lot so our newest show is lockwood the ghostly mm-hmm. young folk show yeah. uh, that is so good um for for guilt i'll do another one watching yeah. guilty pleasure i always need like in high stress times because i'm planning this big event we i need trash television and so we're doing um the new season <laughs> the new season of love is blind and yeah. perfect match which is like such trash tv and the last really good show is last of us so those are like the yeah. fun things that i'm watching right now what i'm reading is i'm reading um cool awkward black um, which is an anthology, a YA anthology, uh, queer um, black stories by uh, Tracy Dion and Karen Strong and a ton of people. Um, and then I'm reading a gob of romance novels. Um, Audible, man, Audible is amazing. Um, so I am reading just a ton of romance novels. And what am I, what was the other one? Listening to. I'm well, so 
outside of like audiobooks, I am listening to a lot of like in publishing podcasts. Um, I love the Hey Girl um, show podcast. Yeah. I love um, uh, Lip Service, which is a great like kink black um, podcast. Yeah. And music wise, I'm listening to a lot of like Coco Jones, who is a new like R&B songstress who is like mm. so sultry and sexy. Um, and I'm a just like, I'm an R&B nerd anyway. So like all the new R&B singers out there are like my jam the vibe i'm a vibes person i love like creating the vibe some anderson pack some sir uh the new SZA. Um, so that's my that's my jam at all times so yeah i feel like my neighbors are getting sick of me i've been trying to learn on the piano SZA's new song and yeah. uh, my neighbors are i i feel them knocking on my door any minute <laughs> <laughs> that's a big feat though that's for them. It's happening. <laughs> it's happening. It's a moment. <laughs> well, we wanted to thank you so much for coming on. We had such a great time. We hope you did too. I did. And like we said, you're welcome to come back anytime. Yes, please. Yes. But not if it's going to trigger you. I don't want that. <laughs> no, 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 no. This was very healing to get all my Good. rights about the show out. This was very freeing. I feel very, this was cathartic. Yeah. Good. Maybe we'll have you on when we do our whole um, Lane storyline and how they destroyed Lane's character. Yes, let's do it. We'd let's love to it. have you on for that. Yes, please. I'm here. I'm here for it. Perfect. Well, thank you so, so much. Anything you want to plug before we go? Yeah, I promise y'all. <laughs> yes, absolutely. I promise y'all that I would plug my big project arts baby yeah. which is my husband who is also a poet and i are the founders and creators of um the first ever all black southern writers conference that's happening here in durham north carolina november 9th through 12th uh, registration will be open in the spring around late april early june time uh and yeah that's our our big project baby right now is getting that off the ground and creating a lot of programming uh for black and brown voices here in the south so yeah. Sounds great. We're definitely going to, you said late April. So we're going to keep our eye out for that and let the people Absolutely. know. <laughs> thank you so much. Well, thank you so much.